0: Welcome to Cinema Talk, the official podcast of the UW Cinematheque. From Madison, Wisconsin, this is Ben Reiser. I'm a programmer here at Cinematheque and also for the Wisconsin Film Festival. While our campus theaters remain closed, the Cinematheque continues its series of view-at-home cinema programs this week with two films originally scheduled to screen at our 2020 Wisconsin Film Festival as part of our Wisconsin's own programming. You can find out more about The Rabbi Goes West a charming documentary about a Hasidic rabbi from Brooklyn who settles down in Bozeman, Montana, on a separate episode of Cinema Talk, available on our website, cinema.wisk.edu, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The episode you're listening to now focuses on our other offering this week, Determined. After losing their mothers to Alzheimer's disease, three Wisconsin women, determined to find a cure, volunteer their bodies and minds to a groundbreaking study taking place right here at UW-Madison. Hailing from Milwaukee, Madison, and Spooner, Wisconsin, respectively, Karen, Sigrid, and Barb face strenuous cognitive exams, exercise tests, and neural scans as part of the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention, also known as RAP. This clear-eyed documentary secures access not only to the high-stakes inner workings of medical research, but also to the intimate personal lives of the participants and their families. Determine examines in heartbreaking detail the toll of Alzheimer's, particularly on the inner lives of caregivers. It also introduces us to three brave women and a team of doctors who, together, give us hope for a brighter future. Beginning December 10th, the Cinematheque is offering a limited number of opportunities to see both The Rabbi Goes West and Determined online at home for free. To receive access to these films, simply send an email to info at and include the initials WFF in the subject line or first sentence of the email. No additional messages required or necessary, and we'll reply with instructions on how to view the films at home. On this podcast... I welcome a lively panel of five women who together have spent the past seven years determined to tell the story of Determined. Producers Therese Barry Tanner and Eileen Liddig, director Melissa Godoy, sound person Chandra Jones, and one of the stars of the film, Karen McElwee, all sat down to talk with me via Zoom for an engaging and informative discussion about the making of this remarkable film. We start the conversation with everyone introducing themselves. So here now is my conversation with the women of Determined.
1: Hi, I'm Therese Barry Tanner, and my role in this film was the idea person and also producer. And I did do a bit of sound on location in Spooner.
2: My name is Chandra Jones. I was sound and grip and all around assistant for location shooting. I'm Melissa Godoy. I was the director, um, cinematographer, and
3: editor. Yeah, I'm Eileen Liddig, and I was producer and interviewer for the film. My name is
4: Karen McElwee, and I was a cast member.
0: So, my first question when and how did this project start?
1: This project started based on um, a conversation I had as a research participant in the um, research study that the film profiles the RAP study, a conversation I had uh, about other participants and the feelings that we have as participants um, in terms of being alone. And it's it's kind of a lonely journey being in a research study when you don't know other people. And at the same time, I was on the heels of my mother's death from Alzheimer's disease. And the this this conversation and the still in the grief process with my mother's death, spurred me to an idea, um, an idea that kind of was around me telling the story of this disease in terms of the situation caregivers are in, but also, um, and equally important, the the experience of being a research participant. And the two together, I thought, would be a new way, really, to speak about this disease to the wider public. And that was quite a while ago, and it took me a little bit of time to, um, because I'm not a filmmaker by trade, to figure out how to go about making a film like this.
0: What year was that that you...
1: That was in 2011, the year my grandson, first grandson was born, that's the only way I can keep track of
0: it. And, and when, did, when did Melissa and Eileen come on board?
3: Well, I, I can start to answer that. Uh, Therese uh, called me up one day and asked me uh, if I'd like to talk about a film. And we have a mutual friend in Green Bay that has seen a lot of the programs that I produce for over 30 years with Wisconsin Public Television. So I said, sure. And so we had lunch. a very nice lunch. And I was intrigued by the project because I have a friend in Green Bay that was in the uh, RAP project, uh, the Wisconsin Registry for Alzheimer's Prevention. And uh, she had told me about some of the tests and stuff. And I was very, very intrigued with the human subjects being involved. And uh, I called Melissa and we met Therese and she met Melissa at our 50th wedding anniversary party, which was incredible. And then we... Stepped in and we never looked back, right, Karen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what year was that?
5: Well, I got a call from Therese actually in 2013, and I was just, I, or maybe it was 2012, because we put about a year into fundraising before we actually got started. So I think it was 2012, and I was actually finishing a project called Until Sadie Blots, which was, I was, um, doing some filmmaking in a nursing home in a creative daycare and the daycare is for people with Alzheimer's disease. So I had been living in this world with the dementia friendly community for several years and really loving it. We were just finishing this project and Teresa and I talked on the phone.
0: Karen and Chandra, when did, when did each of you start working, uh, either being in the film or doing what you did for the project?
2: I don't remember the actual year, but it, Melissa did give me a call. Uh, her and I had worked on some projects, I think around 2012, and just said I needed some help with a project, and uh, she told me a little bit about it, and I said, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Well, can I add to that? Sean, yeah, Chandra just
5: blew me away when I worked with her in the past. She was a, She's a phenomenal sound woman. She's tall. She's responsive observance she knows what she's doing and she's super strong so years ago we were she and i were moving a table across a parking lot like this heavy table and i said oh my god this woman never complains not for a moment i want to work with her anytime i get the chance and we did we worked on different things but she not only drove but she gripped she was a gaffer she was occasionally an interviewer and she even did an additional camera work during the graduation scene she got some really nice shots of Karen
0: at graduation Yeah. So, Karen, when did you get roped in?
5: Uh, let's see. Well, my mom
4: passed away in 2013. So, it was sometime after that because I remember getting a letter, I think it was an outreach through um, um, either RAP or WAI um, about this project. And um, I believe I talked to um, Nia. And uh, she works with the Alzheimer's office, the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute office in Milwaukee. And I was like, oh, I would have loved to have been a part of this. But, you know, my mom has passed away. You know, she had just passed away. And I remember she said she was going to forward my information to the filmmakers and um, they'll take it from there. And then I got a call. So it was about 2013 or so.
0: So really, all of you have been working on this film for a very long time. How how does it feel to spend such a long time on a single project? And was it tough uh, seeing the finish line along the way?
3: Well, it was fantastic uh, working on it. The only thing is, uh, when you work on a project so long, you have to raise money, right? And that was one of the big, uh, big items, is getting the money to do the project. And uh, we, people believed in the project and what we were doing. And we raised, we raised some nice monies, but we raised a lot of money from individuals throughout the state, uh, $20, $25. We even raised one, someone gave $5. So it was incredible to keep on moving along and, uh, and getting the project done.
5: I think uh, uh, it was very engaging. You know, it's like when you hang out with people and follow their family life for such a long period of time, you just really don't want to stop. You want to know what happens next. So that's the hard part is knowing when to stop, right? When did we have a finish point? It, we could have kept filming, you know, but we had to stop. And the other hardest problem in finishing, honestly, was this spring when COVID hit. Um, the, the color correction and the, and the audio post was supposed to be done in New York City in March. And that trip was canceled and everything had to be done remotely. It was just, the, the team was wonderful. They were wonderful, but it was just took longer.
0: Yeah, I imagine you wound up in a lot of Zoom meetings and things like that.
5: Yeah, a lot of phone calls and a lot of
1: uploading and downloading of things and sending notes. And they were, of course, all doing the same with all their other work. Mm-hmm. I think I have a quick comment on the length. Um, being a novice in this uh, this type of work, never having um, produced a film, only loved watching them. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know what it really takes. Um, And I have to say that some of the length of it, it's worth waiting. It's worth the extra time and not rushing it. In my business life, getting to the finish line on time and within budget was always the most important thing. It is important to finish, but when you're talking about a creative work, you don't want to pull the trigger too soon. And I have to credit Melissa uh, for her insight and her experience around not not pulling the trigger too soon on, on finishing.
2: I just wanted to speak as someone who was working mostly location and not a part of like post and editing and like all of the work that comes with fundraising. It was a different experience for me because they would bring me on for a shoot. And usually when you're working on a film, it's your life for the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks, and then it's over. And it doesn't like affect the rest of your life. But for me, it was like you're in this for maybe a couple of days. And then you're back to your regular daily routine for sometimes like months at a time. And then I'd get a call like, hey, we're ready to go again. And then I'd have to switch modes to get back into this world. And so thinking about the people I was gonna see and the people that I was coming back to check up on, it was kind of like almost the family reunion to say like, hey, there's Melissa. Like, hey, I get to see Karen again, yay. Or like, I'm excited about what's about to happen. And then I just would get disconnected and pulled out of that. So it was interesting to get into that routine and get used to it. And then they're like, oh, we're gonna start rapping now. (laughs) You're like, oh, okay. I guess that had to happen eventually. But it was an interesting process to transfer back and forth between those two lives.
0: Yeah. Hey, Karen, how, how long how long of a time did they spend coming and filming you? Was it years? Well,
4: I think when I started I didn't have any gray hair. <laughs> um <laughs> no, um I think um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, about five years. Yeah.
0: How frequent were were the uh were their visits with their cameras and sound equipment?
4: I mean, it wasn't like once a month or anything. It was, it just, it varied. Sometimes I would see them a couple of times a year. It may be a couple of times like during the summer or fall, you know, depending on what was going on. It's just hard to believe it's been seven years. Right. Just, it seems like an eternity ago. (laughs) I mean, it really does. It seems an eternity ago, but yet part of it doesn't like it's been that long you know that my mom passed away it's just strange like i said seven years but it just doesn't feel like it's been really seven years
0: the film among a lot of other things that it talks about it speaks to the sort of the scientific method in all of its um, sometimes maddening slowness the sort of trial and error um the adjustments that need to get made as new things are discovered or, you know, research bears out certain results or doesn't bear out results. And that all that seems so relevant during the pandemic. Can you talk about what it's been like uh, for all of you to see the way science has been viewed or politicized uh, during our current situation and how that relates to your experiences making this film?
3: Well, I can speak to that because I, I sit on the board of directors of ADRC and that's the uh, Aging and Disability Resource Center in uh, Green Bay, and we have found uh, we're dealing with uh, the science and everything every day, and and people who have parents that have Alzheimer's, and it's been very very difficult to uh, maintain everything because uh, uh, centers are closed where you could take your parents and everything else, so. It is this, and and just the other day, a member of my book club wanted to be on a Zoom talk. We have a Zoom talk and she couldn't because she has a husband that has Alzheimer's and she was afraid of what he would do during the Zoom talk. So it really emphasized to me the value of the science and trying to find a cure for this disease and how hard it is for people to do caretaking during this time. It is very, very difficult. And knowing what to do. People are very, very lonely.
5: Yes, I've noticed there's a huge parallel between COVID and Alzheimer's disease, in that the populations, the people who are most vulnerable to Alzheimer's disease, people who are older, sure. especially, right? And people with pre existing conditions, health conditions, and then minority communities that don't have access to the, the best health care or they're as vulnerable to COVID as they are to Alzheimer's disease. It's, it's just incredible. The only difference is uh, COVID is a very fast disease. It hits and it can kill within weeks, whereas Alzheimer's disease can take years, very slow. So I learned a lot. I, of course, none of us knew COVID even existed. It wasn't a word. <laughs> but I learned a lot about scientific discovery and the process and um, fear. I you know Through this project, I learned about why African American community may be fearful of studies. You know, now maybe a little bit of the COVID vaccine. You know, why is that? I, I learned that in the making of this film. Now I understand it much better. Uh,
1: I'll jump in here too with a little bit of a different perspective. When we, those of us, when we profiled the study, the rap study in this film, it's a science is, can be a slow process. Um, and you mentioned in your question, the politics politicization with respect to COVID in science, mm-hmm. most other science takes place every day in this country without that. And, yeah. and that is how it should be. And uh, that's how this study and many other studies about Alzheimer's and many other diseases take place. So we watched it as it, it happened and with no one interfering in it. And we don't have that now. And that's a very sad situation. It's sad for the whole country. It's sad for the, the hundreds of thousands of people, you know, who have succumbed to this terrible disease called COVID-19.
0: Yeah. The film... Captures uh, some extremely intimate and and sensitive moments, sort of private moments throughout. Um, I'm interested in hearing how you got permission to be there for those moments, and how you were able to build trust with the with the people in the film to to be there for those for those moments. And and actually, Karen, you can talk from the other side. How did they go about convincing you that they? that it was okay for them to capture some of those things that were happening in your
4: life. Well, once, you know, I agreed to be part of it and, you know, I met Melissa and Therese and Eileen, you know, and Chandra and the rest of the gang, um, it was pretty easy to allow them in my life. We had a shared experience. Um, You know, either we were part of RAP or we had family members who had succumbed to the um, the disease. And so it was pretty easy to allow them into my life. Um, It was pretty easy to trust them. My son um, trusted them as well. Um, I wanted my mom's voice and her story to be told. And I had no problem putting that in the hands of Melissa and Therese, because I felt that they would do her justice. In telling her story, whatever they needed from me, whether it was talking to my son's school, my job, uh, the advisory board, I sit on, whatever. Whatever they needed from me, I was more than willing to do. I was invested in this emotionally, and so there was nothing I wouldn't do for this project, for this film. And like I said, from day one, I trusted them with my mom's story, with the details of my life, my son's life, I didn't think twice about it. There was nothing to consider. Whatever they needed from me, I was more than willing to provide to them.
0: Uh, Do you think that your son sort of feels the same way? And was he as willing throughout? And does he feel the same way now? (laughs) Has he seen the film?
4: He hasn't seen the whole film. And when uh, this project started, I mean, we're talking about seven years ago. Well, he was a teenager. At that point, I I had some control over him. He's 22 (laughs) now. So he doesn't necessarily listen to me, but (laughs) he knew the importance of telling his grandmother's story and, um, he enjoyed being part of it. Um, he had a crush on a certain person. I won't mention her name, but her initials are SJ. He was willing to do it. He loved his grandmother and he wanted to, you know, help tell her story. Now I'm hoping that he'll see the final cut of the film and, uh, Enjoy it.
5: I think he will enjoy it because
3: he's the ending. Oh.
0: <laughs> so I'm sorry, Eileen, you were going to say something.
3: I was going to say that one of the, uh, the first interviews I did was with Karen. Remember that interview in your house
0: mm-hmm. seven
3: years ago? And it was about a two-hour interview. And I had not known her story. We had not known her story. And it, it was just after your mother died. And so it was a very, very raw, painful story. And I'll never forget it because it just, you know, sometimes you have uh, a person you interview and they grab your heart. They just grab it out of your chest. Well, you did that Mm -hmm. to me. And I felt that, uh, boy, Karen is going to be part of this. And I mean, I just think there was a rapport to the crew that interviewed you that day. It was amazing what you had to say. I never heard anything just so passionate and there. And it was a story that had to be told. Now you're gonna be crying. You
2: know how I cry? (laughs) I think about my mom. Yeah, Uh, I just wanna add that that was also my first interview and coming onto the crew and, getting introduced to Karen and uh, her son. And I was kind of nervous that day because everyone else had had the opportunity to like shoot a couple times. They had met you, they were learning your story. And then that was the first time that they brought me on for this longer extensive interview. And I remember being nervous and like, I wonder if they'll like me, but I've I've had family in Milwaukee as well. So I kind of felt comfortable coming back to the city. I felt comfortable like coming into the home kind of reminded me of like when I was visiting my family in the city. So I already felt relaxed at that point, working with Melissa. And um, I could have, like, I sensed your son was a little nervous and we were getting him microphoned and putting on the wireless mic. And I kind of opened up, talked about video games because that's what he was into and doing when I came in. He's started to open up about... Video. Yeah. asked him about his favorite heroes and everything. And after that point, he seemed to like open up, talk a little more, cracking a few jokes. And I was like, okay, that's who he is. I see who he is now. And from that point, I felt welcomed. I felt like I was a part of the team that day for that interview. It came so naturally. I was able to warm up to them because they were already warm to me. That's so cool.
5: That's so cool. you were also instrumental in like a Literally almost a Barbara Walters level interview of Gina. Awesome. We, we yeah, realized that we that. needed more material. We, we just had some gaps and we had to say, we really need more information from Gina. And we went mm-hmm. back and we just nailed it so patiently. Yeah. But it, I think it was partly just building up that relationship.
0: Yeah, Melissa. Do you want to talk more about you know uh, other people who are in the film and 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 yes. and about your feelings about being there for some of those moments? In addition to Karen's story, there are some very very intimate moments with some of the other people in the film as well.
5: Yeah, it's actually very interesting. I I thought it's worth mentioning how we got people to be involved because it's a study and they're all anonymous, so we couldn't even ask people because that's broaching you know privacy. So Therese had to, to go through the study to get volunteers to reveal themselves to be willing and then we did some initial interviews to sort of figure out what would be an interesting ensemble of people and then it took off from there anyway yes there was some very revelatory fascinating experiences such as in Spooner Wisconsin up in the rural area very immersive and they we just said just pretend we're not here so it was very, usually that was a, so remote we had to fly and drive and stuff and so Teresa and I normally just went alone just a small crew and it was just ignore us and we just settled in and just, and that's, they were so good at that. They were so comfortable. I, I'm still amazed that uh, I just and I'm so grateful to Doran, especially, and his family for being so open and welcoming and allowing us just to be there with them. After a while, he started calling us, you girls, just like he called his daughters, you girls. We were like, you girls. And then, you know, another family that's just so wonderful in Madison, Sigrid and David, a married couple, they're just just this great chemistry and they are, you know, retired and they're living in this college town and it's their dialogue is just amazing. So it was just like we were able to observationally record so many interesting moments that had some fire. Thank God, you know, so we could have arguing and we could have doubt and we could have concern and all the normal parts of a human relationship. They also just ignored us. And then we had a larger proof of that. We had Chandra with us. We had another sound woman um, occasionally. Her name is Amy Krepp. And she was wonderful. She's she's a former Alzheimer's nurse. And she is just extremely, like, understanding and creative and just, you know, so that was another great addition to our team. We have an associate producer, Joe Hillman, who's also in the study. And she helped set things up. And she's also, of course, understands everything about it because she's just like the participants, right? And we have, you know, people behind the scenes as well. We have a production assistant, Jean, who also has experience Alzheimer's disease in her family, and she is a caretaker as well. So everyone on our team, I believe, has personal experience and shares that to make it as real as possible. I would call it a family. To me, this, this film is about family. There's no question about it. It's not about Alzheimer's. I mean, it's a little bit about Alzheimer's disease, but if you really get into it, it's really more about the resilience of family.
0: It definitely transcends just being an Alzheimer's or an Alzheimer's research film. Uh, the film has has a has a really kind of delicate structure, it it, it deftly balances our time between our uh, the time of the film between our time as an audience with the medical professionals, and then our time with the participants and learning their backstories and seeing what's happening in their in their lives. And, and Therese talked about this earlier as, as maybe being part of the original idea of the film. But was that always the structure? Was that always the plan? Or how did things shift during the course of filming and editing if, if they did shift? Did you, were you always trying to strike that balance? Or was it at some point you realized we need more more of the participants or we need more of the of the researchers?
1: Well, I think I can start and then turn it over to Melissa. That was the original concept. As we moved into editing, we started to focus more on the science with less of the backstory. And then we got some feedback from people at a conference that I went to and they saw a short clip and they uh, shook their heads and said, you need more about the stories. So during the editing process is when it became a more delicate balancing act.
5: Yeah, that was... You know, talk about the how much time it took to finish. That was definitely the hardest part was editing and getting that balance because early on we heard feedback, too much science, stick with the emotion of the families. And then later on, when we were almost done, we we took the film to just the most phenomenal human being consulting editor, Gordon Quinn, who said, Oh, you need more science, you know. <laughs> well, he, he's into that too, and he so anyway, it's, it, was, and it wasn't just those two experiences. We went back and forth for years trying to find just that right balance. And we had a lot of great consulting editors and helpers along the way. It, it was very hard. I don't even know if we got it quite yet, but we had to stop.
1: <laughs> yeah. It also mentioned that in addition, the helpers, Melissa, refers to um, we did some feedback rough cut screenings with just community groups and some who had experience with Alzheimer's, but many who did not. And that really helped us shape the, the, the stories as well. Um, I think, you know, the expertise within the industry is great, but uh, your, your average everyday person had some input into how this turned out as well.
3: Yeah, I agree with Treece. We had all the community viewings, and that's why now that the, the film is complete, we want to continue the community screenings, we have a number of people saying, can we see it again now that it's completed? And we hope to do that. But the people were invaluable that uh, viewed the film because they, they picked on just little tiny points that we didn't even see.
0: So I'm curious about what you can tell me about what is happening currently with RAP, uh, their ongoing recruitment efforts, particularly with people of color. And I imagine that people will see this film and want to volunteer, and can they? Can they still get involved?
4: I do believe, well, they're always looking for volunteers for a wrap. And um, I believe that our last advisory board meeting, um, well, not the last one, probably October, uh, maybe even the September one, because of the virus going around, things are being done. a lot differently. There's going to be no in-person tests done, but we haven't received any uh, literature yet as to um, how things are going to be handled. But that question is a really good question for Gina Green Harris, who runs the Milwaukee office.
1: I can say that I know that they haven't been recruiting Caucasians for quite a while. Um, Because over the course of working on this film, people have approached me and said, how can I get involved? And if they're Caucasian, there really isn't an opportunity. There's more focus on people of color. Um, And Karen's right. Right now, the study dynamics have changed. So I'm scheduled for March of 2021. And as Karen said, it won't be in person I'll have to be honest, in the intervening years when you're not headed to Madison um, for a study visit or it's not on your calendar, you're glad not to think about it. <laughs> um, you're you're you know, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind until you get about a month out and then and then the worry starts setting in. So um, they do I will mention this. the study is is very. Um, Wonderful at keeping us all those of us in the study updated on progress. Um, They do an annual report out, and I will also mention that outside of the main longitudinal study, there are now dozens of ancillary studies about Alzheimer's associated with the same group of people. And so, Joe Hillman, who Melissa mentioned earlier, who's a study participant. Joe signs up for every single thing you could possibly th- that they're possibly studying. Whether it's your microbiome, the exercise study, which is part of the film, um, there, uh, there's a, there's you know, language and Alzheimer's. There's just a myriad of studies that UW has been able to. Um, branch off from the main study and it's it's quite wonderful to use the same basic mechanics and the same researchers and then the same group of people so a lot of different important findings some some small some medium, have come out over the years based on this study and that's very gratifying when you're in a research participant (laughs) to hear the things that actually are Happening and making a difference. Um, Can I add one little thing? Just listening to Therese say study, study, study,
5: (laughs) reminded me that when we started this film, it was actually really hard to get people enthusiastic because of the word study. Like study itself sounds kind of dry and research, you know. And now it's all over the news. Like study, like research, people are participating in clinical trials. Like that's cool. Like this is cool now. And people have to understand that it's cool. For COVID, absolutely, but it's also cool for Alzheimer's disease. It's absolutely essential. If people don't courageously step up and volunteer, there's no chance of finding it cure.
3: Right, I'd like to say something. And I think uh, the study, I'm gonna use the word study, the exercise study made a difference in my life and uh, about exercising and walking. And then especially now during COVID, we're walking like we feel like we're walking around the world. I mean, walking, 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 and it makes a difference your mind body and health i mean you feel great after walking it's important and uh so i was so glad that the exercise study was a part because it changed my whole life in looking at exercise and keeping my mind alert
0: i'd like to sort of end by asking everyone um to answer the this question which is now that now that the film is basically done i would say what have you been working on recently? Like, what have you been doing during the pandemic? And and what are your what are your hopes and plans for Determined and and beyond Determined? Uh, let's start with Therese.
1: What have I been doing during the pandemic? Well, we have had work to do um, with the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We keep our Facebook page updated. Our followers on Facebook up to speed. We still have some fundraising to do. We had a lot of decisions around, you know, the final cut back in the spring. And we've been, we, we always targeted a small festival run. So that was to occur in 2020, which it didn't. It did in terms of some acceptances, but the actual festival itself, as you know, was postponed and what we started to do in the last couple months is to say, we have to be ready for the next phase after this short festival run, and that is to try to get this film out into the world in a bigger way. So we started, the Eileen and Melissa and I started really looking into that, looking to partner with a distributor and look at having this available to a wider audi- audience down the road. So, we've been working on that together as a team. And uh, for me, uh, switching gears to what's after determined, I haven't really landed on that yet. It's amazing that you know there's still plenty of work to be done around this phase that we're in, which I, which I didn't know when I first started this you know, the the long journey that a film can be. So I feel I have plenty to keep me busy. Um, In my spare time, I'm a big nature enthusiast and walker myself. Um, When COVID gets better, I have two grandsons that I'm desperate to see and their parents.
0: (laughs) Uh, Do you feel like you've been bitten by the filmmaking bug or this is more of like, okay, I've done that now and I can move on to back to what I was doing before I came up with this idea for a film.
1: I love film and I love doing this. I really haven't given it much thought mostly because the work is still there. Sure. Um and I think, you know, COVID is COVID has kind of clouded everything. For in in the sense that this is a time when we're going through this huge crisis that I haven't really uh, I bet I've let it kind of box and I'm not saying this is a bad thing or a good thing. It's just sort of boxed me in and focusing what I have at hand is been the best way for me to kind of cope with it. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So that's a question that I'll probably answer more towards spring and summer of 2021. And I'll drop you an email.
0: (laughs) Please do. (laughs) Chandra, tell me how it's been for you um have you been able to do any sort of filmmaking related work uh in the last seven months
2: actually I, i suppose uh technically in my day job i work for a tv station so uh as a news director i'm broadcasting the news uh on a pretty much daily basis so i guess technically i do uh also i did get a chance to work um with some local filmmakers, uh, on a project that was kind of COVID related. Uh, I can't say too much more, you know, because of NDAs and all those fun things. But, uh, yeah, I got some very, uh, challenging and satisfying work despite and because of the pandemic. So yeah, I'm very happy about what I've been able to do. Melissa. Oh, well, uh,
5: yeah, uh, Teresa, said there is so much work to do. What, right now, my focus is launching Determined because we have, hopefully we have a possible distributor, but we have tons of deliverables now to do. We have to do a broadcast cutdown to a 52-minute version. That's going to be really tough. And then we have all the deliverables that go with that. So that's like, I'm not thinking much past that. Although I am working on some other things. I'm the line producer of 9 to 5, The Story of a Movement, which is Going to air on PBS um, pe- February first, so we're just finishing some legal things with
0: that. Right, we had Julia Reichert on campus uh, pre-COVID, fairly shortly before COVID, um, and 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 got to show a uh, a rough cut of Nine to Five.
5: Yeah, that's been quite a journey. That's a that's a whole nother story. But every every film has its challenges, and it's a beast. You know, each one is its own beast. So you have to just get through it as best you can. Yeah and try to have the best outcome. And, and meanwhile, because of COVID, because the production actually getting out in the field and shooting hasn't been the you know best for health, I've been teaching a ton. So I also teach documentary production. And uh, we're just wrapping up the semester, actually this
3: week.
0: Eileen?
3: Well, you can see that I'm of a certain age, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I have, I, I wanna get this this film done. We still have some more money to raise and uh, uh, to to complete that. And also we have certain uh, things that we wanna see for this film. And I just wanna say these, we wanna improve lifestyle choices. So people after they see the film improve their own brain health, like exercise. We wanna support families with Alzheimer's disease and after, and I'm really aware of of that as I told you before, by sitting on the ADRC board and seeing how families are hurting now that, uh with COVID and uh we want to be able to participate the people to participate in dementia friendly communities and and Green Bay has been doing that I know uh, Dane County and many counties have been doing that and we want people to enroll in clinical trials I mean this is really important and uh yeah we want to work with the distributor I'm very interested in uh, community advocacy and uh, that has been my life, really community advocacy and getting the community involved in the film. I want people to see Karen and the people in the film and what they have to say. And uh, so it's important to uh, keep on going, keep on
1: going. And and I do want to mention to as a tale to that, what Eileen just said, the way we're going to do that in addition to some of the other things I mentioned is we will be doing community screenings. and if they, they probably will end up being virtual, but we plan to do community screenings um, this coming spring and into summer uh, so that we can reach smaller audiences and and have that impact within those smaller audiences around some of the changes, some of the things people can do to protect their brains. And keep their brains healthy. So I'm glad Eileen brought those things up and we'll tie all that into our community
0: screenings. So Karen, I guess I'm most excited to hear what you've been up to and, and for you to give us an update on your son. Do, do, uh, are you still calling him? I can't remember what's your, what was your nickname for him that he doesn't particularly appreciate? Uh, boo-boo. <laughs> boo-boo, right. Boo-boo. You still calling him boo-boo?
4: Um, when I'm a certain distance away, so he can't run me down. <laughs> 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 yes, I do call him Boo Boo. <laughs> he will always be my baby Boo Boo. Um, so, I mean, well, since COVID, I'm adjusting to my new norm of working from home, um, which my son doesn't like because he has to go to work delivering money. So, he's an arm. Um, Armed um, security person delivering money throughout the state. Mm-hmm. Um, he enjoys that. Um, still loves his video games. Uh, still working on the community advisory board for the WAI. Uh, still do my volunteer work with the Alzheimer's um, chorus. And we're, we've been holding uh, virtual sing alongs for our members because obviously we can't get together. So we've just been doing virtual sing-alongs. And um, our next one is going to be this Saturday. It'll be the last one of our season. And so we're actually going to do a little box lunch for them and deliver it to them before the sing-along. And they'll have the sing-along then we'll all eat lunch together virtually. Um, So, uh, yeah, just Just kind of do
0: me right now. It's been wonderful getting to talk to all of you. I wish we had been able to do this in person last spring, but this is the next best thing. I'm super excited uh, that we're finally going to be able to get to share Determined with our Wisconsin Film Festival audience and the people in Madison who I know will uh, uh, respond extremely positively to this movie yeah, it's it's a great film. Congratulations to all of you uh, for the result of all your hard work.
5: Yeah, but we are extremely grateful to have been welcomed in the doors of this scientific process and to be able to witness the scientists working. This is a this was difficult to do. It's their intellectual property, you know. It's their highly secret stuff, right? And and so we were able to observe it, and that's that's a privilege, and we're grateful because we couldn't really show how science works
0: yeah you and you've got that one uh research scientist i'm sorry i don't have his name in front of me but he's like oh, even a more handsome david caruso i feel like you've got like a future film star um, in in this movie what's what's that guy's name
4: uh dr sterling johnson sterling. yeah Is it
0: sterling sterling yeah i feel like some movie offers well, are when i come his way
1: when i tell him that He will blush to high heaven, (laughs) he will, he will, and I am going to tell him. (laughs) I I will mention that uh, to Melissa's point, uh, the original uh, idea man behind the study, Dr. Mark Sager, he is the one I first went to around filming the study he did not as my mother used to say bat an eyelash before he said yes and he he is the one who told me way back in the original year that i got the idea um, to think big to get this movie out beyond wisconsin which is what we've been trying to do so i I owe him a debt of gratitude and i'll never forget (laughs) the look on my face, even though I couldn't see my face, at that conference table in Madison when he told me how big I needed to think. But I will also say that that has stayed with me. And even during the long journey and sometimes trying times, I have always felt confident we could do this and do it it well and do it right. And I have a great team that's been able to put that put it all together. So thanks to these ladies here and the rest of our all women team, woman team who have uh, been part of this uh, film.
0: Great. Thank you all so much.